Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. All right, welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are with a good friend of ours from the valley, Michelle Dorate. Did I pronounce that right? Nope. Dang it! <laughs> Michelle Duarte. Michelle Duarte. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having, uh, thanks for being here, man. It's, you know, we've gotten to know each other for, I don't know, a better part of a couple of years now, uh, nearly. And um, just really respect you and um, just love hearing what God's doing uh, in and through your community. And so I want to just tee you up to talk about. Uh, your experience coming into the valley and what you're doing through uh, church planning right now and what that journey's been like for you and your family. Yeah. Um, so I am originally from Brazil, born and raised in Brazil, but I got involved with, with missions at an early age. So I ended up um, in Turkey where I met my wife and she's from, from Arizona, born and raised here. That's how I ended up in Arizona through, you know, marrying someone from Arizona. Nice. Never had any plans of moving from a tropical country to the desert. <laughs> as opposite no. as it gets. Uh, Arizona is everything that Brazil is not. <laughs> and I love being here. Um, you know, our journey is being a long journey through Turkey. You know, we lived in Turkey, served there for a while. And then we moved here. And during our time here, pretty much since the beginning of, like when I first arrived, I got involved with international students ministry and always connecting with immigrants. Being an immigrant myself was a natural connection. And often seeing this, this struggle that people who don't know Jesus at all or even people who are Christian and come to like a place like America, mm-hmm. like, you know, where you're exposed to all sorts of things. And, you know, it can be a struggle for people who are Christians and and people who are not Christians, we think that just because they come to America, they're going to be exposed to the gospel. But we found that many people spend many years here and they still have no idea who Jesus is or what Easter is or, you yeah. know, what those big buildings with, you know, funny looking things outside are supposed to be. You know, they, they, they drive by big church buildings, but they, they never enter one. They never interact with Christians maybe that they know of. Mm. So that's kind of what led us to, that's a very short version of what led us to, to being, you know, in a church plant that's mostly people from other countries or first or second generation immigrants. That's awesome. So you, you and your wife planned on starting a church um, when you came here or no? No, actually. So at first we were involved with an international, it was called International Bible Church and it was a church plant right next to ASCU that was ministering to international students. And then we went back to Brazil for a while and we served there with a, of a nonprofit that was fighting human trafficking. Mm. And then we moved back here after my mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly. And then we we started praying about ways to get engaged again with, with ministry here and serving and reaching out to immigrants. And at, for a long time, I was just looking for you know, seeing what God was doing in our area. So my, my wife grew up in, in Chandler. So I, I knew a lot of pastors through the Surgeon Network and other pastors that I knew 
So I just started asking pastors in the area, like, what, what are you doing? What is your church doing to reach to immigrants specifically in this area? And often they would say, well, nothing is specific. You know, mm. we, really, like, the more I described what I was thinking, you know, thinking through people who are coming from Hindu, uh, Hindu background, Buddhists, like, you know, Muslims, there's lots of Muslims in the valley. Mm. They would be like, we don't do anything specific to reach that kind of people. We love that idea, but we don't think we could do it. Our church already has a culture that's set in place. So I was really trying to see if this would be something that would be a ministry of a local church. But then I came to realize that it was going to be more like a church plant that is an extension of the local church. Like mm. a church plant that's intentionally reaching out to people that some of this church that I knew said, no, we, we love your vision, but we think you need to start that as a separate thing, not necessarily as a you know, ministry inside of another church. And that's how the vision for the church plant really kind of took shape. And it, it started from our house, from people that were meeting in our neighborhood. I think one key moment was for one of the Easter's that we, we always had Easter gatherings at our house. We invited some of our Vietnamese neighbors and they came and they're like, what is Easter? We talked about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Wow. They had no idea what Easter was, who Jesus was. The wife had been here the least amount of time in the U.S. and she had lived here for seven years. And she said, I don't know who Jesus is. I never heard of him. Hmm. I've never been to an American home. I only, you know, we only normally hang out with other Vietnamese immigrants. And that was like shocking to me because I, I assumed, you no, know, I'm in America. There is a church in every corner. Of hmm. course, everyone knows Jesus. If someone doesn't know Jesus because they don't want to. And I realized, no, that's not true. There's actually a whole wow. population, especially places like, like Chandler, the East Valley. There's a lot of immigrants from different countries, first, second generation immigrants that are often you know, surrounded by Christians, but for one reason or another, they still haven't been exposed to the gospel. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what, the, you know, God's plan for them is at all. So that was kind of how we really got drawn to this kind of ministry we're doing now. Wow. So you started out in your house. You had these Easter gatherings that you're doing and then maybe Bible studies and things like that, just inviting people over. Uh, and maybe not even Bible studies, just having people, you know, doing life together in community. Um, take me, take us through the evolution of church planning from that point to where you are today and talk a little bit about some of the deconstruction, deconstruction that you've had to do over the past, you know, couple years in order to get to this place where you're at, um, now. Yeah. So, oh man, that could go so many ways. Um, <laughs> So for me, so I'm so born and raised in Brazil, but I, I you know, I, I learned English in the UK and then moved to Turkey, married an American, end up here. So I feel like I've been like, I'm a, like a mutt when it comes to theology and, <laughs> and, and church tradition. I'm mixed with so many different things with the Pentecostal, charismatic. And yeah, so it's just like, I feel like that. I've been exposed to a lot and I've been places where I've always had to adapt. Mm -hmm. So my, pretty much my whole adult life. So I left Brazil when I was 18, so I'm 43 now. So I've like spent a lot of my life adapting, learning other languages, trying to understand how people think so I could communicate with them from being in Turkey to being in the US. I thought I knew English and then I moved to the US and I was like, okay, I have to learn 
you know, my wife always reminds me of all the things I pronounce wrong and my kids <laughs> make fun of me. So, um, but when it comes to, to church, it was interesting because I, I've never been anywhere where there's so many assumptions about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be hmm. part of a local church and so much taken for granted and the whole idea of like, oh, if I'm an American, of course I'm a Christian and mm-hmm. like stuff like that. I never encountered that anywhere else. So when when you're like working with immigrants, there's that, that assumption is not there. So, I mean, for the most part, depending on where you're from, but like with the idea of intentionally reaching out to people who are, you know, ethnically, culturally diverse came the challenge of like figuring out what is the church? Mm-hmm. Like if you are planning a church for an American context, people, even if they're not Christians, they come to it with an expectation of what the church is. If the people coming to you, to your gathering or to your, you know, house, whatever it is, are coming from, you know, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist background, whatever it is, you know, or even complete atheist, the, you know, the expectations are different. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, like there's this one Chinese lady in our group right now that everything we share with her about Christianity is new. Like she doesn't have any framework for it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any expectation what church should look like. Should, should look like. So... That kind of like led us to this journey of figuring out like what is what is it really important? What's really important about the church? Like, are we like especially as a church plant? Are we planting just a Sunday gathering, mm-hmm. an event where people show up to it and they you know consume a service that we're providing, a religious service, and then they go home and that's it? That's what they were inviting them to, and obviously not because a lot of the world, like you know, so many places in the world. They don't even have that. They don't even have the opportunity to have a big gathering. They're not worried about like, you know, is there a good program for my kids here or, <laughs> you know. So for us, it was like, okay, the easy the easy uh, path would be for us to... So there's two easy paths, actually. One is we completely adapt and just do church the same way that every American church is expected to be. The other one is... A trap because you you feel like okay I'm not gonna do anything like American church does, and I'm just gonna be, you know we're gonna define ourselves for what we're against and we're not gonna we're against you know a Sunday gathering we're against this we're against that, and then you just end up with some other set of issues because you're like just shaping your culture based on what you're against. Mm-hmm. So for us it was more like okay what are the good things from you know the church like from church history from tradition from from you know the American church, from the church globally that we've observed and seen that really matters at the end of the day, and of course, you no, know, it comes down to the, the main one is like you know, is about discipleship. It's about like bringing people to become a follower of Jesus, that are you know, um, that, you know, you see that in their life in, in how they live their life in the daily way is not a compartmentalized way of seeing the world. Which, by the way, in a mm. lot of cultures and a lot of, a lot of contexts that we work with, that's not even normal like this idea that that religion is this private thing you know like in the middle east and so many places is not normal like that you know religion and life is one thing like you know how you see god or how you don't see god affects how everything else plays out right so like then for us it was like okay so if discipleship is the most important thing for us as a community what does discipleship look like mm-hmm. when you're in a multi-ethnic context how do we, you know, because it, it's so much easier actually to be in a monocultural environment because you have this common ground that you start from, 
But for us, we're always like, how does the Chinese, you know, uh, friends think about it? And our friends think about this. How, how, how would our Palestinian friends, you know, think when we start talking about the role of, you know, like Israel and in, in, in the Bible and, you know, the fact that Jesus is a Jew. <laughs> and, you know, there's like so many things that you're, you're forced to think through and, and, and have to have a, a position about it. There's no comfort in just like thinking, you know, I don't have to think about this stuff because they have some sort of assumption that I can work from mm -hmm. like sin or so many things that you think, okay, this culture has already an understanding. No, you have to start from scratch and think through every aspect of discipleship and going back to the Bible for everything. Gosh, there's so much there, man. That is so good. Um, yeah, right. I mean, we, and I think just as you were talking about that, what came to my mind is, and that's what, that's what it means to be a good listener and engage with people and meeting them where they are. Uh, not assuming here's where they are and then we're just going to blanket statements things or we're going to blanket program things. We're just going to, you know, do this for the masses, right? Jesus, um, you know, when he calls the disciples or he calls people to himself, like he's calling them very specifically. And a lot of times he doesn't do it in the same way. It's not like this cattle call of, hey, come on, come all. Who's going to follow me? It's a very intentional, deliberate, like, Michelle, I see you. I'm engaged with you. Do this and follow me. And a lot of the do this is contextual, contextual to, to you. So I think that's beautiful, man. Um, we are talking a little bit before we started recording. There's a lot of challenges that come with that approach because discipleship is a lot of times... Um, a, you know, it's almost like, uh, oh, what's the word I'm going to use? Um, it's maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. It's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like we're, we're looking at this as not a commandment. Optional. It's optional, yeah. right? Uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> really basic word there. I'll help you. But, I know English is not your first language. But I'll help you. <laughs> what's optional in Spanish or Portuguese? <laughs> Opcional. Opcional, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I was thinking of, and that's why I couldn't really get mm. to, you know, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, it's optional, right? Mm. So, like, the great, it's like the great commandment or the great commission is is an option and not a commission. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, something that we may or may not do based on how we, how we feel about who Jesus is. So, Talk a little bit more about that. Like when it comes to discipleship and it comes to the challenges that you've been presented over the course of the last, you know, several years of, of discipling in America, um, what are some more challenges that you've been presented with as you've been discipling people? Um, I, I, th I think one of the, the main things is which, you know, actually I had a really, I remember having this conversation with you and Matt before. I feel like one of the, the main problems is like, especially if you're more like evangelistic or, you know, pastoral, we, we have this temp, always this temptation to lower the bar for the invitation to be a disciple, to be a, you know, a follower of Jesus. Like it's almost like we want to make things easier. And for me, like, in, in the desire to 
to contextualize and to communicate things in a way that people understand. I also have that temptation sometimes is to um, to communicate it in a way that uh, presents following the commitment to follow Jesus as less than what it really is. Like which is like to total like you know you're giving your life up for Jesus. You're like picking up your cross. There's all these images. Like you know, we were reading through Luke a while back, and and the amount of times that Jesus spent in like in, in framing discipleship, what it means to follow Him, and how many times it's about sacrifice, it's about giving up and renouncing, and you know, mm. it's like He's He's not like He's basically the opposite of what we would picture as like you know a seeker friendly type of guy. He He's very good at like you know framing it like no, this is gonna cost you something. Mm. but you're going to get everything, you know, that you could never have if you're not following me. So I think it's one of the main challenges is, is learning how do you frame what that cost is to, to certain people, right? Because if you're talking to an average American, there's the embedded idea of American dream of rights and dreams, and I get to be whatever I want. And so and then, then, you know, then the cost would touch on that. But then if you're talking to someone who came from another country, their American dream, their version of American dream is, is different than mm -hmm. sometimes from what Americans have, right? To, to them, sometimes it can be just like, I want to be able to buy the things that I could never buy when I was in my country. Or I want to be able to see my kids, you know, do what I could never do back in my country. So whatever it is, and and inviting people into that challenge, into that you know, cost of discipleship that is also contextual, depending on where you're coming from. So I think that the main challenge is like, no matter who you're talking to, is like the temptation to lower the, the bar and, and, and frame it for less than what it is. That's good, man. I, th I think we've shared this before, but something that Matt and I talk about a lot is, you know, the rich young ruler. And so often when I think about that story, and the, again, contextually, Jesus knew his heart. He, it wasn't just like this random guy who's like, oh, you know, money's got to be his thing. Like he knew, he knew his heart. He said, he said, what? He said, give away everything. Yeah. Leave everything and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he knew that he couldn't do it. I think for, from your standpoint, what you were saying is something that we talk about a lot, and that is the American, maybe the American pastor or the 21st century pastor or the 21st century Christian would maybe go after the guy and say, you know what? No, I was just joking. How about how about don't sell everything? How about how about half? You know, again, lowering the bar. And the guy's like, nah, I can't still can't do half. Eh, what about what about 10%? Just do do 10%. You know, that's that's what it's going to take. And again, we would constantly lower the bar for people to, to come in. Jesus never does that. And yet Jesus is so full of grace. He's willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. And so you see this, like, this relentless pursuit of people. How, how would you describe that in, in terms of your discipleship journey as you've discipled people that may be resistant to the good news or resist, resistant at first to Jesus, that tension of not lowering the bar but not giving up? I, 
So I think that's going to go to something we we're talking before, you know, is I, I, I find that I'm so tempted to like when I'm inviting people to follow Jesus, right? If I'm talking to someone and, and trying to get them to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is that, you know, you see someone and you think, oh, this person has potential, you know, they they have, you know, the potential for, for to become a good leader and they have some gifts that I can see. And, and then you end up like spending all this time pursuing that person mm-hmm. and they're kind of like brushing it to the side and I know, like, you know, I, in my own journey, I've had people that were, they were like that. And then later in life, they said, you know, thanks for, you know, investing all that time coming and continue to be, you know, uh, persistent in helping me follow Jesus. But I also see, like, the way how Jesus did it often was more like, who is available? Like, who is willing to come and follow me? Mm. You know, he would be like, come and follow me. And, and people would have all sorts of excuses to why they couldn't follow right away, why they had to, you know, go and bury the dead first or this and that, like all this, these things that come down to, at the end, Jesus, like he was investing the ones who were near him, who wanted to be near him, who made that a priority, who made that uh, something that mattered to them. And we don't know how much each person that he invited to follow him knew about what it meant to follow him. But we know that a lot of those people are people that, pastors would probably not choose to invite mm-hmm. <laughs> into that like inner circle maybe not the most talented the most trimmed or cleaned up or you know like more raw and yeah so actually the people who i would probably say i don't see any potential in this person but i, I see like people that are sometimes the, that we don't see any potential are the people who are available and are ready and they want to they're hungry they want to know more and then I end up passing them by and not investing mm. in them because I feel like they don't have as much potential as this other person who actually doesn't want to spend time learning more about Jesus. But I, you know, I want to insist on that door because I feel like that has a better potential. Dang, dude. What do you think the motive is with that? Uh, to be honest, I think part of the problem is maybe deep down, maybe many pastors well, I'll talk about me. Like there's some, somewhere inside of me, there's a messianic complex that if I, if mm. I'm in this personal life, you know, if I get into this, into this relationship, our time together is going to change this person's life and they're going to turn into this amazing disciple or pastor or leader one day. So that somehow if I get into this person's life that, you know, something is going to switch mm. more than like, you no, know, God is already at work in the people around me. And he may or may not choose to make me part of their journey for that season in their life in what he has planned for them to do that may or may not have anything to do with what I see in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think for me, um, you know, you want your return on investment, right? So exactly. You're looking at who's the person that has the most influence, that has the most resources, and can do the most good and the least amount of time, you know, because we were talking about this earlier, you know, you got to think like, you know, the disciples knew who Jesus was when they, when Jesus is going on the shore and asking, uh, you know, them to, to drop their nets and, and follow him. It wasn't the first time that they had met Jesus um, I don't, again, exactly what you said. I don't know how long that journey was and 
how many times that they were together and we don't we just there's a lot of that that we don't know but we we could probably assume that wasn't the first time um so there was this there was a calculated cost right that, that they had sort of racked up or added up to for them is this a guy worth following and they saw him as such and they calculated it and said i'm going to leave everything and go and do this um so often people of influence and people that have uh you know leadership potential that we would say oh man they're a great leader don't have that availability a or b as it comes down to it won't kind of like the rich young ruler like i'm not gonna leave this to go and do that and that's a sobering thing for us as we look at what it takes to create a movement what it takes to you know lead a church what it takes to start something new there's a lot of things that are in our mind and from the prevailing model but jesus never had to to think through those things Mm of upkeeping certain elements or aspects of buildings and programs and staff and all that, he was simply able to come to somebody and say, would you do this? And they were able to, to leave something and go after something. What For you, what's been a challenge um, and an opportunity of making that switch from, again, going some from some of the prevailing model aspects of it um, where you've had to kind of deconstruct some of the framework when it comes to the church and some of those temptations that keep on creeping back in when it comes to finances or money or you know different things that you see other churches have? Um, I think part of it is... So if, if discipleship is the main thing that, that drives the church, right? I, I forget the quote, but like something about like you can plant a church, you can start a church, but not have disciples. But if you make disciples, you always get a church at the end of it, uh, of it right? So if, if that is true, which I believe it is. So if, you, if discipleship is the main thing, it's not an optional thing. It's not like, you know, for the extra holy people in your group or you know, whatever it is, if it it really truly is the most important thing, then you have to have a really healthy vision of how do you navigate that being the number one thing you're doing as as a follower of Jesus to help others become disciples of Jesus, right? And I think this, the switch for me happens when, when I, when I start to think through, um, it's, it's like even Jesus, right? When Jesus invited people to follow him, Maybe we think of that as like, that is it. Now, those people saw Jesus or they heard Jesus talking and then Jesus showed up and invited them. And that was just, that was the one dimension between them seeing Jesus and Jesus seeing them. But it was actually teamwork. Like the spirit mm. of God was already at work. Mm. The spirit of God was already preparing people's hearts. You know, you know, they, they came like in the case of the disciples, they were in a context that were being shaped by you know, the true story of the whole world, like, you know, the, the biblical story, the, the, the Torah, the, you know, God was already working in their lives and the spirit of God was steering and, and moving something in them to the point when Jesus looked at, uh, at someone like Peter and said, you know, come, you know, drop your nets, come and follow me. I'll make a fisher of men. It wasn't just all down to that one moment. It was something that was leading to that. So for us, that means like when, it, when we encounter people, 
in our roles really like to make that invitation and, and know that maybe this person is the one that's ready to drop everything and really you know make this priority or maybe i'm just helping you know being part of the process that god has for this person to move them one step closer to becoming a disciple of, a, a disciple of jesus and it to be okay with that because like you know as a pastor even if you're not under the church planter pressure of having numbers or whatever it is you still feel like if i'm gonna do this i want to see results i want to see things mm -hmm. happen and if you see yourself more as part of a team with god with the holy spirit working then you're like no this is like a relay race you know i am contributing for this one part in this person's life and even like you know the question like someone asked in, in our group recently in our church like how do i know when to stop spending time with someone like that sounds like a weird question but like remember that this couple was saying we've been pouring our lives into this family mm. we're going to over to their house we're like we're helping them with so many practical things we're doing all these different things and sometimes we feel like it's not really going anywhere so how do i know it's time to to stop and move on and i go back to the whole idea of like you know are these people available not just to be with you, but to what God is doing them. And I would say like, you know, in our journey in discipling people, we, we do stuff like that. We spend time with people for a season and we have to be okay that we're not the one solution for them. That even discipleship to think that I am a discipler can be an illusion that you think I have this job that I'm gonna take people from, from A to Z. Hmm which I'm only take them A to B most of the time. Mm -hmm. And other people take them from B to C and so on. Like, so you, you, we think that it's this package that I'm going to walk into this person's life and I'm going to help them grow into the, all these areas. But like you, really, the, the, the church makes disciples. It's the body of Christ. Like the disciples of Jesus, the church is making disciples. Mm -hmm. And we are disciple makers because we're part of the church. And, you know, and it's normal part of the journey. And some people will come in and out of your lives and we have to be okay with that. It's hard as, as a pastor because you feel like I'm investing time in you. I expect that you're going to, you know, like what, like if you're, if you're true to yourself, like every time we are discipling someone, we have hopes for that person. And most of the time, you know, those hopes are not fulfilled because they're not realistic really. Because mm. we're like, we think, you know, if we do this, if we do, you know, one, two, three, we're going to get, you know, this this yep. exact amount of results from them, and it's not because they're people and and they're being discipled by Jesus, not by us. Just you know that God is working in their lives. I don't know if that totally answers your, your no. That's question, good, man. That's I think the, there's just so many challenges that we've talked to talked about, and I love that that idea of like looking for people that are available, looking for people that. Um, and you know, dropping your nets, or you know, it's it's the correlation is not exact. Like it's, I think it's kind of what you were talking about before, and that is to see like there's not this my secular life or my you know non-religious life, and then my religious life. Like nowhere else in the world do you do you get that dualism. Um, in America, you definitely get that dualism. I have all these things going on over here. And so the dropping of the nets is almost the nets is almost like dropping of this idea of like, there's a, there's a barrier, like drop the barrier, like everything is spiritual. And so when I'm dropping the nets, I'm, I'm looking at my profession, I'm looking at my household, I'm looking at my neighborhood and the places where I work out or, or play. 
So we talk about live, work, learn, and play. I'm looking at all those aspects of my life and saying, I, I'm in full surrender, full submission to what God is doing. And I'm just, I love this idea of like, I'm a part of the relay race. Like I don't have to go and have all these different expectations, a lot of them which are false expectations put on me. I can just have full surrender and full support of the Holy Spirit and expectations on him to do far beyond what I could ever do. And that is such a freeing thing when we actually live into that and we can let go of those things. And I, I just commend you, man. I, I know that you're um, a man that's following after God, that's a discipler in your household and in your neighborhood. And it definitely, for you, it starts small from a standpoint of it starts with where you're at and then it manifests itself out in all these different ways. And so I just respect you and, and so grateful for you. I'm gonna ask you a weird question, okay? All, you know, as if like my other questions haven't been weird. <laughs> but if you could have, so we live in a valley, right? I just had this thought earlier as you're wearing kind of your robe here. Yeah. My my house is a little cold, so Michelle is, is wearing a, a blanket. So you have your robe like on. And I was thinking of <laughs> Moses as you were talking. And so we live in the valley. If you could get up on the highest mountain range here in the valley and you had this like crazy loudspeaker or megaphone that could reach the ears of every, all 6 million people in the valley. Um, specifically, you could talk to disciple makers. What, what encouragement would you give those disciple makers listening to you? What's one word or phrase that comes to mind, something that you've been thinking about as just a word of encouragement to those that are discipling people here in our city? I would say uh, the picture that comes to my mind is when Jesus talks about the, his yoke being easy. Hmm. So in the Eugene Peterson you know, version, uh, like, version of it is beautiful. So that, the idea that is like, is this yoke that is really like, fits you just right because mm. it's you know god calling you to work out of who he made you to be and also is a picture of like you're not like you're not yoked on this cart or whatever it is by yourself you're with mm. other people mm. in this case like with thousands of other disciples makers right other people following jesus in this journey and the thing about being that, you know, I don't know, like, you know, in, in Brazil, like in the countryside, you can see that kind of stuff. Like when you see like two, like um, two animals like pulling together, you know, or, or even when there's more than two animals, sometimes they're not all pulling at the same time. Sometimes, you know, some of them kind of like are, are just there. They're coasting, they're resting <laughs> as they're yeah. going. They're taking, so they're, they're all working together, but there's that, it's a kind of like the relay race picture, mm -hmm. but you're still moving together. Yeah. And it just means that the reason why Jesus' yoke is easy is not just because of his yoke, because you're doing it with his body, with his people. Mm. And anytime you embrace the American exceptional, you have to be a dream team, you have to be an expert, you have to be the best, you have to know everything, you have to have read all the books, you have to have results, you have all, all these pressures, all those things take away from the fact that you just have to be on a yoke with some other people. 
There's anyway. always someone else that knows more than you. There's always someone else that has the gifts that you don't have. And instead of thinking of all the things you don't have, look around you and see the people that got us placed with you. And they have all the things that you don't have for a reason. Mm. Like your limitation is a gift from God. It's hmm. not something for you to remediate by getting another master's degree, by getting hmm. you know some other title or some more training. But it's a, it's a limitation that God has placed in your life so you know that not just you depend on God, but you depend on other people. Bam. And that is like a lesson that I feel like, especially for Americans, and I'm American too now. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I can't, I'm married into America. I wasn't born into this country, but I married American. I love this country. And I, and I speak to it as from inside, but also with the eyes from thing, seeing things from outside. And I remember when we moved to Brazil. So my wife, good American, no? born and raised here. One of the hardest things for her being in Brazil was to learn to accept the fact that she needed the help from other people. Mm. That we were, we came back from Turkey, we didn't have a place to stay, and we're like dependent on other people. And as Americans, I feel like we, we miss that because often like we're cursed by the abundance that we have, hmm. where if you need something, you write a check, you swipe your card or your phone, whatever it is. You need <laughs> something, you have a friend who has more resources, you quickly get like it's so easy for us not to lean into your inability to do something hmm. like you actually were incapable of really helping people move in their journey unless we learn to accept our need for others and our, and our limitations. And I think that that's my encouragement for people is embrace that and look at the people around you as the gift from God for all the things that you actually cannot do, that is not a, a problem with you, it's not a handicap. You know, it's not like this, you know, it's a gift, it's truly a gift from God. Bro, that is an encouragement and a challenge and I needed to hear that. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being with us, man. And uh, <laughs> we're cut short today. I, I think we could go another <laughs> couple hours. So we're going to have you back on the podcast. If you would grace us with your presence again, as long as you wear the robe, yeah, we'll be good. So <laughs> thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michelle. We'll see thank you next you. time. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.